Psalm 23 verse 1, 2 and the first part of 3. Psalm 23. Let's read it together. Slow. Let's get this into the system. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let's do that again. Slow, nice and loud, nice and emphatic. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. My soul. What is my soul? My soul is the part of me that thinks, that chooses, and that feels. Write it down. My soul is the part of me that thinks and chooses and feels. My soul is the part of me that thinks and chooses and feels. That's that inner conscience, that person inside you that is, that is beyond this body, beyond this, this limited reality, this limited existence. My soul is the one that's going to live forever with God forever and ever. It's what was created to have a relationship with God. It's where it's the seat of my volition. It's, a, it's where I make my life decisions. It's a part of me that thinks it processes, cognitively processes life. It's the part of me that chooses. It makes major decisions deep inside. Have you noticed there's some things that we do? I say, why do you want to do that? I don't know. I just want to do it. Why do you want to marry that person? I don't know. I just really want to marry that person. And you've decided deep in your heart that that, that recess, that place, that room in your in your heart in your being is where you make those choices and number three is how you feel how you feel about life how you feel about reality about yourself about how things are working out for you about god about other people about the way people have treated you your emotional response to the reality around you it all happens deep in your soul your soul is a part of you that thinks that chooses and feels now here's the deal Every one of us is sinful, broken. Every one of us in the sight of God, every one of us in our own experience is broken. That's the truth. But when you get dinged up, when you get damaged, when you get in a crash, when you are corrupted, your soul takes on some serious damage. Your soul takes serious damage. And your soul is what enables you to live life in a healthy manner. Your body, you want to be fed. But your mind, that is the way you think, and the decisions you made, that's your will, and your emotional life, all of those three things come together to make your life either enjoyable or unenjoyable. If you're in great shape but you're sad, you're still not enjoying life. If you have lots of good things around you and great uh, treats around you, but you're afraid of something, or you're not able to make up your mind about something, it all comes back to that. And here's the thing. We are all broken, we are all sinned, but the sin that we have done, and the sin that others have done to us, both are true, 
have resulted in a damaged soul. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Here's the grace of God. Not only does Jesus cover our sin, he pays the fine. So your car's in a crash and it's sitting at the police station. It's messed up, it's dinged up. And you have to pay a big fine for the crash you were in. Not only does God pay that fine, when he gets the car out, it's damaged. Now it needs to be repaired. It needs to be restored back to, back to its original working, functional shape and condition. Are you with me? And the grace of God not only covers the price of sin, but the result of sin. And our soul is damaged and experiences tremendous amount of damage through the years that we are sinning and rebelling against God. And what Jesus is saying is when he brings you to Christ, when you come to Christ in his leadership, in his shepherding, in his goodness, he restores your soul. He restores your soul. What are the damages to my soul? Let me give you three. What are the damages to my soul? What are the things that damage my soul? Number one, write it down, unaddressed grudges. If you can't spell grudges, ask the person next to you. And if they can't tell you the spelling, don't hold a grudge. Unaddressed grudges. Job chapter 5 verse 2 To worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish. It's a senseless thing to do. To worry yourself to death. Job chapter 18 verse 4 You are only hurting yourself with your anger. Who are you angry with? Who are you angry with? Whoever you're angry with, they've gone. They've left. They've gone. They got the metro. They're gone. It's just you and your anger. And you're the only one. And this is Job. It's written 1500 years before the Lord Jesus. 3500 years ago. The first book to be written by anyone that is taken and put into scriptures. The first book chronologically. You're the only one hurting yourself with your anger. It's like taking poison and hoping somebody else would die. Holding a grudge, holding a grudge is not even true. Have you, did you know that? That phrase, to hold a grudge. How many of you have used that phrase? And liars. At least the cameraman's telling the truth from behind. I we use the phrase holding a grudge. My friends, it is not true. Nobody holds a grudge. A grudge holds you. A grudge holds you. And when there is resentment, when there is grudges, when there's stuff in your life that you do not want to deal with, that you're not going to address, it festers and it, it destroys deep deep damage on the inside. Number one, what are the things that damage my soul? Number one is unaddressed grudges. Do we have it? Every single one of us has it. Why? Because it's natural to our human estate. Number two, unconfessed guilt. Unconfessed guilt. Unconfessed guilt. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with sin that's in our lives? 
What do we do with that? Number one, we deny it. We deny it. It's not there. I didn't do it. It's not, it's not wrong. Or number two, we make it small. We minimize it. So we don't look so bad. We don't feel so bad. You minimize it. Or you rationalize it. You rationalize it. You come up with a theological or a philosophical explanation or a situational explanation and you adjust your theology and your, 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 your morality in order to accommodate that. You rationalize it. You tell yourself rational lies. Sometimes we compromise it. We just compromise, just give in. I couldn't, I can't help it, I can't do it. Or the easiest one is you start blaming somebody else. Start blaming somebody else. So everything that's wrong in your life is pretty much somebody else's fault. Because if they hadn't made you do it, you wouldn't have done it. It's always somebody else's fault. And you throw it back on somebody else. But then there are those who do accept it and they do understand or they do feel guilty about it and they beat themselves up and they beat themselves up. They live with this torment and this weight of guilt. This weight of guilt. They live with that torment. Psalm 38. My guilt has, what does he say? Overwhelmed me. Like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and brought low. All day long I go about mourning. Have you met these people? You know, they look like they've been, someone's rubbed a lemon on their face. They look like it. They feel like it. They sound like it. They go into, you know, into the supersonic. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We can't, find, we can't hide from ourselves. We cannot hide from ourselves. The only person who really should know about your sin already knows. That's you. That's enough damage right there. That's enough damage right there. What are the things and ways we damage our soul or our soul is damaged? Number one, addressed, unaddressed, grudges. Number two, unconfessed. Number three, unprocessed grief. Unprocessed grief. Yesterday, Stella, Stella uh, Das, her, her brother died, and she's in the first congregation. We prayed for her and the family. Uh, Dr. John K. John passed away yesterday, went to be with the Lord. And these are families we are grieving for, families. And yesterday, perhaps thousands of people died. There's a lot of other losses. There's loss of life. There's loss of wealth. There's loss of integrity or loss of reputation. There's losses all around us. And life is just too busy. It's too busy to stop and grieve. Nobody's got the time to stop and cry. I don't have the time. First of all, I come across weak. Secondly, then I have to explain why, why all the wetness. Yeah? And the third thing is that I don't have time for this. There's too much else going on in my life to say. So our life already being without margins, I repeat, our life already being without margins has no time or space to stop and grieve. But you are a human soul. You are a human soul. You're a human being. And a human being is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And you were made to think and to feel and to enjoy and to feel sorrowful and empathy and sympathy. You were made to process life like a human, not like a robot, not like an institutional. And when you become so robotic and, and uh, thing in our lives, which is what our 21st century has given us, we have a lot of accumulated grief that we have not cried out that we have not cried out 
I talked about death. Death is a far cry away. Death is, death is bad. Death is, death is a huge loss. But there are smaller losses. And when smaller losses accumulate, it piles up. It piles up. The psalmist comes clean with his own situation. He says in Psalm 31 verse 9, Lord have mercy because I am in misery. It's like Maroon 5, yeah? He comes clean with it. My eyes are weak from so much crying. My eyes are weak from so much crying. And look at this, look at this. He says, and my whole being is tired from grief. You feel like that? Anybody feel like that? Don't raise your hand. You're probably too tired to anyway. <laughs> Some of us so tired from being tired, so tired from grieving, so tired from thinking about it. And you know what? You know how, how horrible Jesus feels for you about that. He feels horrible about that. And let me explain why. Because he never meant for life to be like that for you. He never meant for life to deal you that blow. So since God is good and he cannot do bad in your life, you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that since God is good, he cannot do bad in life, only good. And here's what the shepherd, the good shepherd does for you. Is your soul damaged? Of course it's damaged. It's living in a world, it's living with people, it's living with situations. It is damaged. What does Jesus do? He says, he restores my soul. So how does he do that? I've been reading this, I've been quoting it, I've been singing it ever since I was six months old. And yet, do I know what it means to be restored? Lord, you saved me. Great, I got bought and the car is now out of the police station. It's been paid for, the fine's been paid for. It's now sitting outside the police station, rotting. Like, wasn't good. Nelson Mandela Road. Did I say that out loud? Are you with me? But he says, no, 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 no. Now we got to get you back in shape. We got to get you to where you were in full functionality. We got to get your thinking right. We've got to get your choosing right. And we've got to get your, gosh, you people are slow. You got PhDs and all that, and what happened? Come on, we got to get. I got to get your thinking right. We got to get your choosing right. And you got to get your feeling right. Get you back in shape because when we are damaged and when we are grieving and when we are guilty, we make some stupid choices. We make some stupid choices. I'm feeling guilty. What do I do? Run! Instead of staying, facing, opening, transparency. No, we run. When we're guilty, we run. When we're scared, we run. When we are fearful, when we're grieving, we, we make some stupid choices. Is there, is there wrong, something wrong with making stupid choices? No, everybody does that. But if you make those choices, God wants to restore. God wants to restore. There are consequences to the sin in our life, and here's the difference between God and everybody else. Everybody else wants us to suffer. Suffer. You deserve it. Sounds like some old auntie or grandmother. You deserve it. I told you. I told you this is going to happen to you. Now live with it. You wanted to marry him, no? You wanted to marry him? See what I told you? I told you he's like that only. Useless, good for nothing. No, no, no. You, now you live with it. God is not like that. God is not like I repeat, God is not. He doesn't even think like that. In fact, 2,000 years, thousands of years before anyone was born, 
before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain and Jesus, God decided beforehand he would slay Jesus and ensure that never would you have to have a have, feel, struggle, weigh, guilt anymore. Ever. He doesn't want to ever. And then he says, he restores my soul. Restores my soul. Such a father, such a shepherd, there is nothing in his heart that wants hit back at you. I'm going to say it again. Listen to, listen to me. Listen not only just to the words, but listen to, my, to the heart behind it. There is nothing in God's heart that wants to point a finger at you. God pointed his finger once from heaven. And it was a big finger. It was an angry finger. And he pointed it once. And he shot all his anger. And he shut the lights out so that you don't see it. And in those six hours, Jesus took the hit. Between heaven and earth, so symbolic. So symbolic. Between heaven and earth, he hung there. Between man and God, he hung there. And he took the hit. And he shut the lights out. And all of his wrath, for all of time, for all... So you can... What's my point? There is nothing left. There is no anger left in God. There is nothing left in the heart of God. And he never ever wanted to in the first place. You know that Jesus is God, right? You know Jesus is God, right? So God sent God and boom, took the hit. He let it out and he took the hit because he knew only he could. And he protected man. Not just from the punishment of sin, but even the outcomes of sin. What does that mean? Oh, great. Pastor Jeremy always gives us great news. Now we can go sin as much as we want. And no matter what the outcome is, God's going to restore my soul. Let's just sing it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. When we are hurt by others, this is what the shepherd does. This is how he restores my soul. This is how he does it. Number one, Jesus turns my hurts into holiness. Write it down. Jesus turns my hurts into holiness. My wounds into worship. My mess into a message. Jesus turns my hurt into worship. Let's talk. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God. Are you living in a world you're going to get hurt? Uh-huh. Are you hurt? Uh-huh. Are you going to get hurt? Uh-huh. So, what's your plan? Well, anybody touches me, anyone comes near me, comes near my love. That's me. That, that's me. God says, you're going to get hurt for every pain that happens in your life while you're on the face of the earth. I'll use it to make you holy. I'll use it to make you holy. What does it mean to be holy? Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We've used this verse a lot. We quote it a lot. We give it in birthday cards a lot. Because we only know two verses. This one and that Jeremiah one. Romans, <laughs> Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Uh, yeah, one of my gifts is sarcasm. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those that simply means that no matter what happens in any given situation what kind of hurt how you got hurt and who hurt you god doesn't get get involved with those details with anything coming your way he swings it around to make it good for you good for you for what so that you enjoy life no so that it makes you more holy so that it makes you more holy and everybody does verse 28 and stops with verse 28 that's why it doesn't really pan out because 29 is what really gives you the crux and the foundation of 28 we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, 
God knew his purpose from the very beginning. See, I told you, I told you, God never wanted to waste a hurt. Did he know you were going to get hurt? Did he know you were going to lose a child? Did he know that you were going to uh, have a miscarriage? Did he know that you were going to lose a loved one? Did he know that life was going to be difficult for a few years, then easy for a few years, then very difficult? Did he know that your father was going to say this or say that? Did he know that life? Yes, he did. What was his plan? Protect you so that nothing ever happens to you? He says, no, watch me. See what I can do with that. See what I can do with that. God knew his purpose from the very beginning. He planned in advance that all of us in God's family, write it down, underline it, highlight it, asterisk it, tweet it, would become like, come on, nice and loud with me, would become like Jesus, his son. He planned in advance that all of us in God's family would become like Jesus. Now, God, God, God's son is the firstborn of restored humanity. You get that? You get it? You get where we're going with this? God, God's son, Jesus, is the firstborn of restored humanity. So we see the in, intended shape of our lives in him. And he will have many brothers and sisters in God's eternal family. What's happening over here? When I first got familiar with computers many years ago, one of my favorite buttons on the computer was System Restore. I'm not going to tell you why it was my favorite <laughs> but System Restore. And I really like that because System Restore is a provision in the computer where you, when everything goes to pot, you know, it all falls apart, now everything's blinking and winking at you and stuff is going slow and your laptop is opening and closing on its own and all that. No, that, <laughs> anyway, um, when all that happens, then you can go back and check when was the last time it was in perfect working condition. And reset, restore, it's called restore, restore it to the point where it was first in working condition. Are you getting this? Okay. When was the last time man was in perfect working condition? Answer? Adam. Before he ate the apple. Okay? Before he sinned. So you got Adam before he sinned. But then Adam was corrupted by sin and he died 900 years later. He died. Now second Adam has come as the firstborn of the new creation. The restored humanity. Are you with me? And Jesus, the son of God, has come in human form as the second Adam. And he is that date of restoration. Now we are being restored to our original design and purpose and the picture of that, the definition of that is Jesus. Now you and I always think, oh, we have to become like Jesus. We think, oh, we have to be holy. Don't do any fun stuff. Have to be holy. Have to look holy. Have to walk holy. To smell holy. And we take it very seriously. Yeah? But you could be all holy and everything and be good for nothing. My point is, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he left and that was the human uh, form. He came and, and he, in incarnation he took, the, took, the, took the, the wrath of God and he shed his blood and he's gone. And now he's in heaven. So what does it mean to do? What is Jesus like? Well, the nine fruit of the spirit, the nine fruit 
not fruits, fruit of the Spirit, is Jesus. Is Jesus. And when the Spirit of God is put in you, it's to bring about that restoration so that you begin to think, choose, and feel like Jesus. Why? Because my sin has taken me down the wrong track, now I'm thinking wrong. So he restores my thinking. Every day, every morning, when you open your word and you say, Lord, speak to me. Oh, that's how you think. Lord, speak to me. Oh, that's how you make decisions. Speak to me. That's how you feel. Lord, what should I do about this decision? There he speaks to me. What should I do about And he speaks to me. God of all the universe. The God of all the universe. The author of the Bible. In heaven, suddenly, actually speaks to you. And you are now operating on the direct instruction and wisdom coming from the throne of God. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? That's incredible. For those who get it. That's incredible. That means forget the counselors and the advice and the Google and forget all about that. Straight from the one who knows what I'm supposed to be like, who knows the original design, he is now taking me and restoring my thinking. He's restoring my choosing and he's restoring. Now listen to me. If you start thinking right, how are you going to feel about it? If you start making right choices, how are you going to feel about it? If you start thinking and choosing right how are you going to feel about it? How are you going to feel about the right feelings that you have? Are you getting are you getting it? Yeah. So your feelings also will follow suit and all three will be moving in the direction. Will you still sin? Yes, you will. But that whole process of coming back to him will be a lot quicker. Jesus turns my hurts into holiness. He turns my hurts and as he restores me, restores me to the Lord Jesus. I spent a lot of time on that one point. For this purpose, that you would understand that God doesn't want a better you. God doesn't want you to be a better person. God wants you to die. And he wants you to be Jesus. Yesterday we had a baptism. And seven people got baptized. And I was explaining yesterday as well. That God wants Jeremy Dawson in the grave. And God wants that Jesus lives through Jeremy. And what you get to hear on Sunday morning, what you get to meet during the week, the person you get to meet, the person you get to interact is Jesus. Am I Jesus? No, I'm not. I'm in the grave. I'm still me, but I'm in the grave. That's what I should be. It's where I should be. And I give you Jesus. What does God want of you? Jesus. So you got a whole church full of Jesus. And unbelievers will come and they will know you are Jesus by your love for each other. So powerful. Jesus turns my hurts into holiness. There's not a single hurt he's going to waste in your life. Number two, Jesus takes my sin on himself. He takes my sin on himself. The second damage to the soul was unaddressed guilt, unconfessed guilt. But what Jesus does as a shepherd is he takes your sin on himself. Here's the deal. You sin, he takes it on himself. So if you feel guilt for your sin, but your sin is removed, what do you think is going to happen to the guilt? 
Sorry, you're writing. That's a lot of words. <laughs> Brackets and all. Let's do that again. So you sin, and the result of sin is guilt. But if Jesus takes your sin away and puts it on himself, what's left? What happens to your guilt? It's gone. So he takes your guilt away. He take, do you know what it's like to live life guilt-free? That's what God wants for you. That's what Jesus wants to you. In restoring your soul, he removes your guilt. How often? On a daily basis. On a daily basis, he unloads that guilt. He was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. Circle, our sins. He was beaten and taken and, and he took our punishment so that we might have peace and through his wounds, our wounds, we are healed. He takes our wounds, takes our wounds, and by his wounds, we are healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have felt God's paths failed. We've, we've left God's path to follow our own. Every one of us thinks we're doing it great. Everyone thinks we've figured our own life out. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. Jesus takes our sin. Let me tell you a quick thing about this and we'll move to number three. From the beginning of time, this is why I keep hammering this and you'll say, I'm not, I'm not going to stop repeating it. Because we are called, what's the name of our church? Covenant Life. Why did we call it that? Why did I, I get from God this one word, this one name? Because I want Delhi and I want India to know that the love of God is a covenant love. He's going to love you no matter what. That he decided to love you long before the foundations of the earth. He's going to love you no matter what. So here's the deal. He was beaten down and punished, Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53, but he didn't say a word. He was led out of the lamb to the slaughter, led out like a lamb to the slaughter. He was condemned to death without fair judgment, without a proper trial, without a fair trial. Then he was put to death for the transgressions of everyone else. And he died like a criminal and then was buried with the rich, even though he had done nothing wrong. This was all said 700 years before Jesus went to the cross. Are you with me? 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, this was already prophesied about Christ. That means God already knew from before the face of the earth. And then he told Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came. So you can get into the heart of God and find out never in the history and the mystery of God was there ever an intention to hold anything against you. How do you like that? That's covenant love. That's covenant love. So when you know that God's like that, why wouldn't you just go back and oh, I did it again. I'm so sorry. But you and I in our Supreme Court estate, we decide, now he's not going to give me anything. This God is, must have run out of grace. He must have run out. So we decide after three or four times, you know what? If God sees me doing it over and over and over and over again, then he's going to Gave up on me. How brilliant we are, no? We're just so brilliant. Here we are, five foot tall on the globe. That's like a small fraction of the sun which we revolve around on the globe. Yeah, and here we are standing deciding that the creator of this universe hasn't got enough grace to handle our 70 year life. Our 80 year life. That's how, and he, God's trying to, before the foundations of the earth, 700 years before Jesus comes, you know what? I'm sending him, he's going to cover your sin. How much of your sin, or how much did you sin 
when Jesus died? How much did you sin when Jesus died? He died 2000 years ago? How much did you sin? Nothing. How much did he cover? Everything. So when did you decide that at the age of 23 or 42 or whatever that this is enough and now so you're just going to give in to the whole thing because you just can't, can't do that. I just can't do it anymore. This is just too much. When, when, who, when did you make that decision? On whose ba what, which book are you reading? How did you make that decision? Look at it. He, he says, he died like a criminal and then he was buried with the rich. I found that interesting. He was buried with the rich. Who was he buried with? You know what he's talking about? You know the tomb? It was the tomb of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, not tomb of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea. It was the tomb of, the, and he was a rich guy. And this guy just bought tombs for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> What? I guess rich people is like, let's get, let's get a tomb. I got some extra dispensable income. Yeah, let's get a tomb. So anyway, they bought land and a tomb prepared to be laid over there. And he's a believer. He's a rich man. So the prophecy is that he would be buried with the rich. Obviously, his relatives and all were already kind of pre-put there. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> the tomb is empty because he's still alive. And he gives this tomb to Jesus. Why did he give it to him? Because he's a believer. Because Jesus said, just three days. I just need it for three days. He's like, it's free for three days. It's all yours. So Jesus borrowed it and he gave it back. And seven years before, 700 years before that, he prophesied that he would live with the rich. He would, he would be buried with the rich. Everything was already known. Long before your life could come apart, God put it together. Jesus takes my, hurt, my hurts, turns it into holiness. Jesus takes my sin on himself. And lastly, Jesus feels my grief and feel, heals my heart. When we experience loss and pain, Jesus knows how to you can go to a counselor, you can go to an auntie, you can go to a mom, you can go to a family, you can go to the bar. And there are a lot of alternatives to drowning guilt, to drowning grief, to drowning pain. But Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What Jesus, what do you know about my pain? What do you know about what I've gone through? Well, verse 3 and 4 says, He was despised. Have you been despised? He was rejected. Have you been rejected by others? He was a man of sorrows. He endured much pain and suffering. He experienced deep grief. But we ignored him and looked the other way. He was hated. Have you been hated? And he did not care. We did not care. And yet it was for our weaknesses that he was carrying. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. How about that? Just think about that for just one second. Here's Jesus. Look at me. Here's Jesus. He was rejected. Got it? He was despised. He was afflicted. Man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. He had enough to be resentful and bitter on his own. But he was weighed down by your pain and grief. By your wickedness. By your hurt and grief. Are you with me? 
He had enough to go on his own. But what weighed him down? You. If he can do that, if he can do that, he is your shepherd. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 147 Psalm. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, To all who mourn, to all who mourn, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God. How do I respond? I trust God to forgive me. I trust the good shepherd to forgive me. Here you are, you have shepherd sheep and the shepherd has the right to forgive you. Here's how simple it is. You sin, he has the authority to forgive you. Somebody else sins against you, he has the authority to forgive you. You sin and you don't forgive yourself, he still has the authority to forgive you. Getting it? He has so much authority that he can override your authority to forgive or not forgive. So if you decide not to forgive yourself, God doesn't care. He's going to forgive you anyway. Because he can override that. So trust the good shepherd to forgive. Every day, get it from him. All of us have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty. Not guilty. Number two, release my offenders and focus on the future. Release your offenders and focus on the future. Your soul cannot be restored until you let go of resentment, let go of revenge, and let go of retaliation. Resentfulness is your thoughts. Revenge is your emotions. Retaliation is your actions. Quit. Give it up. Stop planning. Stop scheming. Stop taking notes. Stop. Not these notes. The, the, you know, men don't. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Look to the future. Look at what God is becoming, making you. What you are becoming. Where he's taking you. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness. Forgiving each other just as I have forgiven you. Quick tip. Biological tip. Biology. You know what the Bible says a, a bitterness is? It says it's a root. So if you go looking up, if you go looking for fruit, bitter fruit, you're not going to find it. Because bitterness is not a fruit, it's a root. You've got to go down deep. You've got to go down deep. Get rid of all bitterness. Never avenge yourself. Never go down that road. It never works out. Number three, Jesus teams up to carry your Lord. He teams up to carry. I love this. He teams up to carry your Lord. Jesus says, come to me all you who are heavy. Weary, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you solutions. Anna? No? I don't know which Bible study you all have switched to, but we are still on. Yeah. Come to me, all who are heavy burdens, and I will give you. You know, when you get rest, when the burden is completely taken off, you. I will give you rest. Jesus promises rest. He doesn't promise resolutions. He doesn't promise solutions. He promises rest. This is the only faith and relationship with God that promises rest. Every relationship, every other religion, every other philosophy, philosophy tells you what to do. Every other religion says, do this. And... Christ in me, Christianity, Christianity says, done. It's done. That's why we're called covenant life. Because the moment somebody walks in that door, everything that is required for their life and godliness and future is done. It's done. So Jesus says, take my yoke 
upon you. You know, yoke is not a noose, right? You know that, right? Noose is like, <coughs> yoke is, yeah? And you got two cattle, and the yoke is, so basically what Jesus says, take my yoke, he says, I'll cut your burden in half. So you don't like a 50% deal? Well, he's taller. Do the math. You're just hanging on there. You're just enjoying the ride. With a shepherd like Jesus, the only thing left in the life of a believer is worship. Worship. 